if this episode sounds different than the other ones, it's because Eugene fucked up. So absent-minded, and I forgot to hit record on the Zoom recorder, so we're just running off of our backup. Luckily, on this time, we had a backup plan. Otherwise, we would be currently re-recording this entire episode. Well, here it is. Fuck. What? Were you not recording? I was not recording, but... Oh my gosh, what? But we have the... What you call it? Oh, we have the Zencaster. Yeah, I guess so. Wow, we're rusty. We're rusty. Super rusty. Hilarious. What was I? I was going to say something else. This is Making It Up, a podcast where we tell you what's happening in creative culture and why it matters. I'm Sharice Poon, and my co-host is Eugene Can. We don't always have all the answers, but we try our best to reach a conclusion that adds value to the conversation. If you like this podcast, please share an episode with a friend. We really appreciate it. All right, we've finally done it. After 90 episodes, we're changing the name. We're doing what makes sense. We're changing making it up to making it up. We're eliminating confusion. This shouldn't affect your feed, but if you do share this podcast with a friend, you can stop spelling making and just tell them it's making. <laughs> I don't even know if people recognize in the first place. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway, here it goes. All right, Trace, we have to get our shit together because I've been looking back at the publishing schedule and it's been so sporadic over the last few, it's been almost like two months. I guess we've been traveling a lot. I'm looking at these published dates and there's like March 26th, April 7th, April 24th, May 20th, June 14th. Well, if we call ourselves out. That prevents other people from now emailing us. But dude, I had more than one person be like, hey, did a new episode come out? I was like, no. (laughs) No, it hasn't come out yet. (laughs) What's interesting is that, hey, do we have this function turned on where people can send us a voice message? Yeah. So this is something new. Has Anchor always had that? Yeah, they've had it for a minute. We just never turned it on. So if you go to uh, making it up, uh, this is kind of annoying and confusing at the same time, too. So I was no, like... No, don't even tell people. We shouldn't tell people until we fix the URL problem. All right. Anyways, no, but it's funny. It's funny. So oh obviously now we're known as Making It Up, M-A-K-I-N-G. But that URL on Anchor is taken. So And you they don't allow you to use under underscores or anything. So theoretically, we have the same URL. No, but, we should change it to... Making it up by making. Dude, that's so long, and it's just a jumble of words. No one types in anchor.fm slash making it up anyway. All right, we'll have, to, we'll have to revisit this. But anyways, regardless, if you find our Anchor page, you can send us a voice message. I would like to think people have some shit they want to talk to us about. But anyways, you know what? I realized since it's a Saturday afternoon, it, you feel way different recording a podcast on a weekend than you do during the week. Do you feel better or worse? I feel better. I feel more at ease. Let's get into it. My subject this week, and just to let you know, it's 
kind of a vector into a much larger, broader topic. But it's like Aaron, everything you do. I, yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad. Is it good or bad? Uh, I want to know. I want to know. Do you have the topic that you want to talk about already? And then you find no, like, a no, I don't cherry pick it. No, no, no. In order to like go into I just that, think, yo, I just think that shit sometimes lines up. It just lines up. But anyways, okay. my topic if is so. my topic is Aaron Rodgers launches a fifty million dollar venture capital fund with Roth Capital, which, if you look at it, is probably the worst, most disinteresting headline of all time. Hey, especially but the it's honest. I respect them. Okay. Anyway, respect them for writing an honest headline instead of going for something yeah. more. So what what does this VC slash celebrity legendary okay, for, quarterback have to do with everything? All, I feel like you need to take a giant step back. Yeah, I was. I was going to explain. explain who Aaron Rodgers is. Yeah, of course. That was my next point. Okay. All right. So Aaron Rodgers, suggested by some to be the best NFL quarterback of all time. I don't really follow the NFL. I don't really care. Uh, no. I do follow CTE. In the NFL, which is a whole different sort of political can of worms, different topic, different day. Anyways, they announced a $50 million fund with Byron Roth, CEO and co-founder of Roth Capital Partners, and Nate Rabby, who formerly ran Roth's private capital group. So this You're just going to get all the NFL people coming for us. That's fine. I think that, honestly, like, a lot of contact sports are kind of going through a similar sort of um, internal struggle as to what they do. Even soccer, awesome. even soccer, like football is considering like heading the ball, you know, maybe even change the rules where you can only head the ball like inside the box. But that's, mm. this, is, this is totally off topic. As much as I love talking about sports, let's not do that. We're, we're so, actually not talking about Aaron Rodgers and the NFL. Correct. At all. We're talking. So the thesis of the fund, the thesis of the fund is to improve the deals of influencers and celebrities and the brands they work with. This could mean, and I'm, I'm sort of like trying to analyze what exactly it means because there wasn't a ton of information on the types of deals they were seeking. But from what I gather, it's like improving their opportunities with the brands that they're working with. So as a quote that, w- that appeared in, in this Forbes piece, RX3 is not just looking at influencers as celebrities with vast social media followings. The RX3 founders see influencer investors who can add value beyond capital from the world of finance and business. Alex Batal, founder of Raj Capital and minority owner of the Sacramento Kings, and David Vanderveen, who co-founded Energy Drink Excess, are also investors who can open doors. What I read this as is just because you're a great athlete doesn't mean you can't provide other context and Besides other insights. Money. Exactly. Or Besides just like being an athlete. Yeah, or a celebrity sort of uh, following, right? Or following around uh, who you are. And this all makes sense. Tell me, tell me if this is a good example of this, because I could be wrong about where you're going with this, but, or, or what this means. Sorry, not where you're going, but I could be wrong about what this means. Is it kind of like how, you know, when Beyonce did the Coachella show, and then a lot of people were talking about how she turned down more money from Coachella in order to reserve the rights to that performance, and then she converted that into the Netflix documentary? A little bit. I think a, a little bit different, but similar. I think I'll have better examples to show you. Ultimately, this makes a lot of sense. The cost of acquisition, aka how much it costs for you to get a consumer, is going up, especially in social media, where traditionally, I think something like 40% of all money raised by companies and brands from VCs just go back into digital marketing, right? Mm. So it's increasingly hard to get your message 
out there in a fragmented media market and influencers mm-hmm. as part of companies means there's almost like this built-in messaging channel. And this is something Jeremy Liu of Lightspeed, which I believe is a VC fund, they, he spoke about quite extensively. And it's actually a pretty interesting read. It's not very long, but just basically talks about how Google and Facebook have basically optimized those channels for marketing. Uh, and obviously, organic reach is really hard these days. And you mm-hmm. see a lot of these celebrity-driven brands like Fenty with Rihanna, Kylie Cosmetics, Kylie Jenner. So this is sort of the end of that sort of discussion. Like, I just kind of want to put this behind us and move into this sort of underlying relationship that's hopefully being built up here. Because I think that this Aaron Rodgers type deal actually has a lot of interesting Well, basically, the way I look at it is that now we're reevaluating how people work together beyond just business and financial injections. Right. So basically, okay. traditionally, you brought in someone because they had great business sense or great business ability, and you valued them arguably much higher than maybe the creative, right? Or the creators. Okay. So you're trying to tell me that the Fenty, Rihanna, Kylie Cosmetics, Kylie Jenner model is in the past. No, 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 no. I don't think it's in the past. I think it's the start of a way where we reimagine how non business people are increasingly commanding more value at the table with business people. Okay. 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 I got it. All right. So as I continue on, like there's this really interesting model called creative capital. It's a, I don't think it's necessarily a new model so much as so much as Jules Where did Erhard. You, get this from? you didn't leave me a link or anything. I was like, I, do, I can't even read something more about this. Oh, I didn't. Okay. Anyways. Um, Who is Jules Earlhard? All right. So, where did you read about creative capital? I've I've known about this concept of creative capital for a little while. So, creative capital is, as I mentioned, a model by Jules Erhard. And while it's not necessarily a revelation, it's it's very clear in the way it's set up. Wow, you did not explain to me who Jules Erhard is. I I think it's almost irrelevant at this point. Like, not not to dismiss, you know, Jules as 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 a personality, but I think that the creative capital concept is meant to be it's far more important i think than than the personality behind it because i also think that it as a concept has existed before so there's this tell me about the creative capital model then all right and i'll forget about jules Earhart, the person i heard about jules on a podcast and i don't even remember i'm of the belief that this podcast i know it's been a minute since we did an episode but I'm of the belief that this podcast also tells you something factual about the world and not just Eugene and Charisse's opinions on it. So that's why I get nitpicky about, you know. Got it. I heard Jules on a podcast. I forget which one because sometimes I just like have a massive playlist. And the concept that he really refined and shed light on was this idea of creative capital. And if you go to the website, which I've now pasted into our 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 Dropbox paper. You can check that out, Charisse, you know, to your heart's content. <laughs> Not directed to the listeners whatsoever. Yes, <laughs> I'm checking it out. As the speaker. website is creative-capital.info. So the concepts of this one pager leads off with creatives should also be able to share in the wealth that is created from their work. It further goes on and says, it underpins the creative capital model. It stems from a recognition that creative expertise when properly applied, generates business value. Therefore, creative expertise can be considered an asset. On the one side, an asset can be bartered for a share in the value it creates. 
and on the other, an asset that can be invested in for a share in that value. And I think there's, to go further, I don't, I also don't want to just read out the whole website. I think people, if you're interested, you can check it out. But there were some other bangers in there. It was like... So he says he's not going to read the whole website, but he's going to read the whole website. I'm, no, it's a pretty long website, but I think <laughs> that sorry, it's... just making fun of you. Tell me the yeah. other bangers. <laughs> anyway, there's a, there's a list and it's the term creative capital properly recognizes the potential value of creative expertise decouples the value of creative expertise from the time it takes to deliver it, which I think is really important because we've talked about this before where people are so enamored with, Hey, how long did it take you to do? It doesn't matter if you're really good at your job and it only took you five minutes and it took you five minutes to continue on. It allows the diverse creative community to come together and own the model and to define the business terms, which traditionally it's been on the terms of someone else. Mm-hmm. establishes conventions and expectations around the model for creators, buyers, and investors. And finally clears the path towards larger brands and enterprise to ultimately engage the model. So how does this all relate back to what I started with, with Aaron Rodgers? So what I'm trying to get at is that I think there's going to be a fundamental shift in how non-business people are valued in increasingly more deals and In this capacity, a good example would be, let's say, Sharice, that a startup wants to utilize your services. They need your design and your strategy, right? They are a modern banking company for millennials. Super, super like a a cliche sort of designation there. But you could, instead of being like, hey, usually I charge this much money. Let's say you charge, since you're so good at your job, you charge $100,000 per job. Okay. Oh, amazing. Yes. Yeah. USD. That's US dollars for people listening. (laughs) In this capacity, you could also negotiate your deal and be like, hey, you know what? Why don't we and do a discount? Be like, hey, I'll I'll do $75,000 or $50,000. But in return, I will get equity in your company. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what's most fascinating is because as creatives, generally speaking, most of our output is tied to a very definitive limit and that's our time. So like, even if we're really good at our job, like we, we, we struggle to value our work beyond just this very clean and concise sort of lump sum. So there's no sort of like upside and upswing that you're able to engage in, in terms of like multipliers. So that's kind of what I'm getting at with this. What we've always done as creatives is the time you spend on it. Just to repeat what you said, essentially. What we've always done as creatives is the time we spend on a job equals cash in hand. And yes. the creative capital model does something different. But what? how are you tying this back to Aaron Rodgers? You're saying that the Aaron Rodgers deal suggests that things are moving in that direction. And that people that aren't necessarily business people are starting to command more value in the discussion. So whether you're an athlete, whether you're a model, maybe in the future, and this is the model that's sort of existed before this, okay. which is why so I said like- You're putting like traditional creatives, like the graphic designer together in the same kind of- As non-business larger, people. Yeah, right. The larger description of non-business people. So we're all mixing together right now, like the athletes, the models, the graphic designers, et cetera. Well, in theory, the celebrity is also the marketer in a way, right? Yes. 
Yes. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm sort of drawing that that conclusion from. To walk this okay. back, because I, you know, all those questions you asked me about Jules Erhard, I think that it was a little bit disrespectful to not really know his background. Wow! So, thank you. Oh yeah, my gosh! Look, I, it really only took like seven minutes for me to be right on this show. <laughs> yeah, I think that. Well, it wasn't that I was trying to be disrespectful so much as I felt like the way that I it was positioned, like the concept itself is more important than like, Hey, this is my concept and you guys need to like, give me credit. Yeah. I guess that's kind of the perception I was getting, which is why I was I like, see. Hey, cause ultimately I think that even on this podcast, Jules was more of the belief that, Hey, I want all creatives to sort of reap the benefits of this model. No, that's fair. But like, just for the sake of attribution anyway, Jules Erhardt founded a creative capital studio, the name of which I can't pronounce. F-K-T-R-Y. You just say it out loud. It's not a word. I don't know. Okay. F-K-T-R-Y formerly owned us too. And that's all we have to say about that, really. Yes. I wasn't looking for more. Yeah. Got it. What I find is interesting, though, is like he's put out this creative capital model, but it's not like he can... Sorry, I shouldn't say he because it's not on Jules like as a person, but like this model is out there and it's like helpful to have it spelled out in this way. But whether companies decide to do it or not is really their own individual decisions. By putting this out there and putting, uh, I guess, in many ways, like context around it, you're able to potentially move industries forward in this regard. Right. And I also think that if you're able to do this and you're a high quality creative, you also change the rules of engagement. So that let's say hypothetically back to that job, maybe it gets to a point where Sharice is no longer looking at just straight up cash deals where, Hey, you know what? I want to look for brands that and companies that I personally believe have, have a lot of upside. And this upside itself is something I want to be part of. And either you value me for my input and experience and my track record or I, we don't do this job together. That, I think that's the way of looking at it. But I also have to say there's, there's a lot of caveats because ultimately not every brand is going to have this type of company that makes sense for you to take equity in either, right? Okay, so how would I decide as an individual creative, or sorry, not me, Sharice, how would a individual creative or a small design company make this decision, whether they're suitable to push for using the creative capital model. So I've been thinking about this. You kind of have to change the hat you wear because, and also you have to be set up properly as a business. Like there's a lot of other things that I think if you're interested, you should definitely check out the site, but things include like, do you even have like this sort of financial runway, right? This stability. If you need to discount your services so that you can take this job, but that also compromises your ability to pay the bills, it doesn't work that way, right? That's one way of looking at it. I think secondly, what type of businesses, founder visions are sort of coalescing and how do those two come together? Because ultimately, if this person just wants to create a small company, it's cool if they give you equity in it, but like, hey, you know, I want to be like this two shop business and that's it, right? And maybe that's cool too, but I'm just saying like, you know, you kind of have to know you only have limited time, like which projects have the most upside. Some people may never ever sort of set themselves up to raise money and or exit. So then your your equity actually is 
doesn't really equate to much in the end. But beyond that, I also think there's other ways of creating this relationship. Like it's not just equity. It could be royalties. It could be profit sharing. I think those latter two are probably the ones that are just as interesting. And I think they've existed traditionally, right? It's like yeah. I'm a marketplace, yeah. create a piece of work for me uh, and you will get, you know, most of the, most of the profit or a percentage yeah. of the profit, right? This website is not saying that that idea is necessarily new either. And Aaron Rodgers is also not like the first, I mean, maybe it's the first athlete of his caliber. I don't know. I can't check those stats, but like what he's doing with RX3 Ventures isn't necessarily like totally groundbreaking the first person to ever consider doing that. I think what you're pointing out is that it's increasingly happening. Yeah. Is that accurate? Like yeah. more companies and more individual creatives are together seeing like the mutual benefits of going this route. Yeah. And if you scroll down to the very bottom, there's a list of examples where people have engaged in this sort of creative capital type deal. And yeah, I'm going to lead uh, with a few of the more consumer facing brands. Harry's, the shaving company, they did a deal with partners in Spade, the agency, yeah, Casper did one with Red Antler. No, IDO did one with Pillpack. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of stuff out there. But like these are all very much like brands that are trying to be massive, I guess. That's a way mm-hmm. of looking at it. Knowing this now, Sharice, yeah. does it make you rethink how you will engage future projects? Hmm. I don't know. I feel like I've already talked about this on the sh- show at some point but i've never taken equity for payment but like, i have had like down the line would you take other examples of would i uh, i i would be interested if my work wound up going that way i had a conversation with joan who is the person i most frequently mentioned about how we could make more passive income like, yeah And uh, my boring answer was like, oh, you could invest your money, like the traditional way, you know, like stocks and things. And she was like, no, I want to do something that's related to my work, but also have like passive income, somewhat tangentially like related, if not directly. And like what you're describing is exactly a possibility in that situation where it could stem from the creative work you do, but then is an ongoing yeah, investment. That's not in stocks. That's like in your own work. One other way of looking at it too is, I mean, you've been you've done work for companies that have ended up, you know, raising money right on the back of your work, right? Yes. But ha- had you kind of rethought that perhaps there's a way for you to also, you know, do the work as is, but then also reap the upside. Like it's a win-win. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. I think it takes it would demand a little bit more from the individual creative in weighing the pros and cons and in doing the math on it. Like, is it worth it for me? And like, can I make that risk? Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe, and I could like looking back at my jobs, like maybe there were two cases in which it would have benefited me to argue for something like an equity cash blend but I mean, I don't have no regrets. Like every job you do when you're freelancing is something you learn from, but I, yeah. I would also, I don't know. I still feel hesitant to say that it's like something an individual, like a single independent freelancer should 
seriously consider. But maybe it's just because, like, I feel hesitant about most people I know having enough leeway to play with to yeah. make that kind of risk. You'd have to have some savings. There's definite things that you need to set yourself up for to make this work and to be successful because I think that especially given it's a newer model, not everyone's going to come around to it. I know that earlier when I made the Beyonce example, that was like not a perfect example of this, but I'm going to mention it again because I think the fact that that, like she did the Coachella flip it to Netflix thing was kind of like the fact that it was talked about was interesting in that maybe people are gravitating towards creative business setups mm-hmm. like along with everything else in the world that's like kind of shifted now it's like thinking about okay actually business deals don't have to look the way they always have looked i think that's pretty cool in a way isn't it more old school sorry i've only just thought of this on the fly so feel free to shut me down but like back in the day i'm, t- I'm talking way back like before money you bartered skills for skills right like yes. let's say i made bread and you caught fish and then like whatever fish you caught you exchanged with me for bread and i don't know i'm just i feel like that was a more direct relationship to like okay i feed you and like that keeps your fishing going which also feeds me and like that relationship is more directly to like mutually beneficial than the whole like cash for money i'm sorry cash for time situation that we're now in as a capitalist society. Yeah. Did that make any sense whatsoever? No, it made it made sense, but I Okay, thank you. I mean, that's kind of pre-money and that's when money was something that would need to be introduced, right? Yeah, but I'm not saying that this is post-money, but I feel like besides the potential that you could earn more through royalties and equity is also this idea that you're investing in a company and the company is actually investing in you as yes. a person. That's what I mean. Like, you care more that that company keeps going. And at the same time, that company also cares about you and your work being better. Because basically like, you're aligning your incentives. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I mean with the fish bread metaphor. That's what I tried to get at. The one thing that worries me in this is that traditionally creatives have not wanted to embark on that discussion around business and Mm -hmm. negotiation and whatnot they just want to create and this doesn't make it any easier no it makes it harder it makes it more complicated it makes it it it's like it would be slightly intimidating for some creatives to be like oh now not only do i have to make a regular quotation but i have to consider making a creative quotation where i'm asking for something that's not just straight cash but i i think that if you can do it and you have like the proper due diligence to see the upside of something then you should do financial consultancy for creatives i'll probably do it for free should we move on yeah let's do it
I'm curious how your subject is going to link to my subject in any way. I feel like maybe this week it's not going to happen. My subject this week is about Greta Thunberg, whose last name I'm probably mispronouncing. She is a 15-year-old in Sweden, and the article that this comes from is from Wired. It's not exactly new news, but actually it was kind of for me. I maybe like saw a photo of her previously, but I didn't really know much until this, I read this article. So in August of 2018, last year, she started to strike from school. And the reason she was striking is because she became really dis- distressed about heat waves and wildfires in Sweden. And she kind of kicked off her protest. Like she skipped school and then she posted a photo on her Instagram caption. We children don't usually do what you grown-ups tell us to do. We do as you do. Since you don't give a shit about my future, I don't give a shit either. And her plan at the time was to skip school until the Swedish general election on September 9th, 2018. But then she decided, well, the problem's not going away. You know, climate change is still going to happen. So she decided to skip school every Friday. And she called it Fridays for Future. And, like, at the then she just went viral, <laughs> mainly because like some key people started reposting her on Instagram and Twitter. And so she got a lot of like international coverage and people like started to interview her and ask her to do speaking engagements. So, for example, in January, she was at the World Economic Forum in Davos. And there she said, our house is on fire. You say nothing in life is black or white, but that is a lie, a very dangerous lie. Either we prevent 1.5 Celsius of warming or we don't very articulate teenager and also really inspiring because then she she as well some other key teenagers kicked off in march a student protest of more than a million students in 125 countries protesting the fact that the adults essentially aren't doing anything about climate change Mm -hmm. so the reason i picked this subject is well Climate change is a big subject that we should talk about. The other real reason I picked this is because I've been reading this book about education lately, like about academic institutions. And I found it really interesting that Greta and other students like her see so clearly that skipping one day of school a week is not going to affect their future, but like climate change really is going to affect their future. Mm-hmm. Some detractors, like some adult detractors have said, like, you need to go back to school, like, you shouldn't be skipping school, this is a waste of your time. The students themselves, who are the ones in, like, being educated, understand that that's not true. I've been thinking a lot about, like, what is the function of schools? And in Greta's case, it's like, she's learning way more by skipping school than she is by actually, like, sitting in the classroom that she's meant to to be sitting in. Yeah, it's funny because that book that I've been reading as well called Range actually talks a lot about academia and learning, right? Mm. And if, if you're not familiar with this book, Range, it talks about the importance of sort of generalization, not necessarily in those words, but the role of being an expert generalist versus a hyper-specialist, whereas mm. many people value hyper-specialization today. Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting because like in many ways, like one of the one of the most interesting examples they use is you have these super high level performers, but they really only perform within a very narrow band. And mm-hmm. in many ways, schools are set up that way where 
you know, they talk about two ways of learning. It's like, I can give you the easy way where you feel like you're learning because you're getting all the answers or give you a much yeah. more challenging way where I don't really help you out or I, I force you, not force you, but like it's sufficiently challenging that you're making mistakes along the way. And, I saw you share this on Instagram stories. I totally agree. Yeah. And what's interesting is that in this capacity, by you removing yourself from a system, because in many ways, like obviously at scale, school needs to kind of push people through this sort of gauntlet and this gauntlet needs to be somewhat similar across the board. Every city, every district, et cetera, has probably a, a generally similar point of view. What's interesting yeah. when you remove yourself, you may delay some sort of outcome for the present, like let's say hypothetically she misses uh, school and she doesn't do this test that lets her go to the next grade, right? I think mm -hmm. in the end though, it probably nets out in that you're probably yeah, better off. No, definitely, like yeah. way better off. Like I would, I guess that's my point is that, so the, the reason why it's, they've seceded in their messaging is that they're like consistently striking from school on Fridays into like the standard adult authority figure that looks like taboo, like a mistake. Like you're risking your educational future in order to like protest this cause. But I think these students benefit. Well, we're saying the same thing. Like these students benefit way more by being on the streets and being engaged with the world by protesting climate change than what the, the benefit they gain by like being in school on Fridays. Yeah. Um, yeah, since you mentioned your book, I'll just like quote mine as well in case people are curious. So the one I'm reading is called Extracurricular, and it's a collection of essays edited by Jacob Lindgren. The one that, one of them that I think is like exactly kind of the same thinking as yours with range is this essay by Anthony Fison and Colin Ward called Streetwork, The Exploding School. And it basically says like students like primary, secondary students, they become citizens of the world, but the school systems that we have totally separate them from society. Like whether you call it sheltering or you call it like ex excluding them or whatever it is, essentially there's like a division between primary and secondary students in school and then like the rest of society. But then obviously these students become members of society. So by making that separation, we are just causing our own society's erosion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that some of these structures themselves are, I mean, this, this is kind of a dumb question, which I know the answer is like, do you think some of these structures are ready to be disrupted? And if so, how? Yeah. But obviously, so. yeah, it's obvious answer, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't finish going through everything about Greta and there's there's some quotes I think are quite good by some other student leaders around the world so one is by Anuna de Weaver who's the leader of the school strike movement in Belgium and she said when adults say we need to go back to school I feel like they don't understand the message that we are trying to send it's a message of urgency of the fact that we are facing an existential crisis we literally won't have a future if we don't act now we are the last generation to actually be able to save this world and then another student, Jamie Margolin, I think in the States said, there's this weird thing where people will pit you as an inspiration, but then they don't actually do anything about it. 
world leaders will be like, oh, you guys are going to change the world. It's like, actually, we're just kids telling you to stop messing up. So to answer your question, what I think is, if these students and other students like them say it enough times, then adults who have, you know, systemic authority will will change things according to the feedback. Like, that's my hope. That's my optimism, at least. Yeah, it's always been interesting because in the realm of politics, the policies enacted are often the ones that affect the people for the shortest period of time. Well, not Mm -hmm. necessarily, but you know what I mean, right? Like, you could introduce wide sweeping changes, but the reality is that these changes are going to affect those that will will have to, you know, live with your your decisions well beyond, you know, your time on this planet. Yeah, I think like, I think it's really great. I, I, I do think in some ways that the adults, including myself, because at this point, I'm more of an adult than a teenager, have failed in the makeup of our educational systems. And that if if the students themselves recognize so clearly that their futures are at risk and that their institutions are not helping, then we need to recognize the same thing. I think even beyond that, what's also really interesting is that if you think about all the different changes that might be enacted, even if they were the right changes, I even think there's a big disconnection in messaging and how you actually get that message out to a broader audience, especially today. Like I talked about it earlier, it's like there's so much fragmentation in messaging now that if you're going to enact a massive environmental bill, right? Let's just say that Sweden is going to change something drastic. Do you think the government or any government on this planet has enough awareness to understand, okay, where are the people and how am I going to get this message out to them? Like, okay, you know what? This demographic's on Facebook, this demographic's on Instagram, that demographic's uh, there. So even well, that I mean, element, I think, because uh, I, even news itself, like people aren't going to necessarily get everything on the news, right? Wait, but those are, I, I mean, okay, first of all, I was talking about, I was, when in my mind, when I said that about we, us needing to make change, I was thinking about as educational institutions, mainly the schools and correct. universities. I, I was more but like saying the environmental concern. Yeah. I think what should be pushed for. And I think what is being pushed for is the type of change. That's not like encouraging people to recycle the type of change. That's like telling factories, you know, you can't do X, Y, Z anymore. And like regulating that. So you don't need to message that. Those are things that you can enforce. Correct. Correct. Yeah. That's, that's like, I think that that would be really significant is if countries started to, you know, financially penalize and regulate corporations for the way they do business. Not because of them doing business, but because of sustainability concerns. Oh, I also think that, like, my main takeaway is that I'm also just disappointed in schools for not being, like, the supporting action driving students to do this. Like, they they find school, not to say that school is unnecessary, but it's like, oh, we have to squeeze in all of these extracurricular things that we care about around the school things that is required of us. Like school should be the place where you're allowed to do that and pursue those projects. Like that's what I, I ideally think. That's it for me, essentially. I don't see, I don't, yeah, weirdly, we picked two things that were really different, but probably because I picked my own subject this time. 
Hmm, interesting. I wonder if there's some sort of bias intern- internally when I pick the subjects or the batch of subjects. Well, it's like you're always, something is always kind of mulling around in your head on one subject. That's a good place to cap things off for the day. If you're interested in hearing more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories, focus on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at Macon.com. M-A-E-K-A-N. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by reviewing us on iTunes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Also, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email myself at Charisse at Macon.com, C-H-A-R-I-S, or Eugene at Macon.com, E-U-G-E-N-E. But the most direct way to get in touch is to DM us on Instagram at Macon. We love hearing from you. I'm Eugene. I'm Charisse. And this is Making It Up. <laughs> <laughs>